Hebrews chapter 7, continuing on in this uh, series in Hebrews. And we've been uh, looking so far over the last couple of weeks at the fact that Hebrews uh, was written to persuade people that the Christian way of thinking was okay uh, because there was an attack. There was an attack going on, especially in the church in Jerusalem, that uh, the Christians hadn't yet found the way. And it was really Christian thinking was okay. It was all right to to believe in those things, but they really needed to have the add-on. Of the uh, of, of many of the Jewish uh, Judaism truths, and so um, there were Judaizers, people who were teaching this in the church, and uh, teaching that people really had to convert to Judaism before they could experience everything that God had for them, all the benefits that God had for them, and this became a very a- attractive possibility uh, in the context of the persecution that they were going through, because as we've seen, some of that persecution, if not a lot of it, was because of the separation between, or the perceived separation between uh, the, the Jews and, and the Christians, and uh, the idea of coming back together again would have been attractive to some uh, who were in the midst of this pretty horrible persecution. Uh, it was also being addressed, the book of Hebrews is also being addressed to Jewish audiences who, who were deeply entrenched in Hebrew thought. Uh, they'd adopted uh, Christ and they had, had adopted uh, the way, they'd, they'd become followers of Jesus, but they were deeply entrenched. Their past was that they were, uh, were Jews, that they were Hebrews, they were of uh, Judaism. And to just uh, be perceived as casting this aside, and that wasn't what they had to do really, but be perceived as casting this aside and saying what we had, what we believed for all these years is now nothing, well that was a great threat to them. And so Hebrews is, is written to try to help them to see uh, how this is tied to what was going on in their life already and uh, that an adoption of the way as uh, Christian truth was uh, being seen was something that was okay for them, that it had God's blessing. And so we've seen so far that the, that the core of the Hebrew religion was ad- addressed uh, in the introduction of Jesus Christ as a high priest uh, in the order of Melchizedek and we come back to that theme this morning. Uh, he offered himself as the sacrifice uh, to end all sacrifices and that became a pathway, a new pathway of accepting uh, of accepting um, uh, being in a relationship with God and we saw last week that this was perceived uh, by the book of Hebrews and taught by the book of Hebrews as being a pathway to maturity this is what true maturity always uh, is, is um, made up of uh, because the Judaizers were saying to become mature you need to give up on this idea and, and revert to uh, the ways of the Old Testament or the ways of Judaism and so Hebrews says, no, actually this is a pathway to maturity and, and presented uh, quite the opposite. And we looked at that last week. And this week we look at uh, more detail on the superiority of Christ and his priesthood uh, as uh, seen in Hebrews chapter 7, which has already been read to us. So let's first of all have an overview of uh, that chapter, verses 1 to 28 of Hebrews 7. You may want to have your Bibles in front of you as we, as we go through <coughs> this, uh, this passage. What Hebrews is saying here is that Jesus is a priest forever uh, in the order of Melchizedek. This is a, this is a new way and, and we really need to catch on to that. This is a new way of thinking uh, that is being presented. It's being presented as a new thing that God is doing and that's pretty scary. 
That's pretty scary for the reasons I've already outlined. These people were tied to so much of this is what God does, this is what God has laid down, this is how he has been acting. And now the Christian faith comes along and dares to presume or dares to teach that God is doing a new thing and that one of those new things that he's doing is that he's got a new order of priesthood. Well, this cuts very at the very core of Judaism, as you can imagine. A new order of priesthood? You've got to be kidding. It would be very hard for them to accept. And so Hebrews says, but it's okay because this new order of priesthood actually dates back to the time of Abraham. It actually dates back uh, and, and, and precedes the order of priesthood that has been there all the time and this is the order of Melchizedek. God is doing something new. In this chapter we see some interesting characteristics of this newness. First of all there's the new lineage, there's a new line that is here, line of, of uh, of priesthood. You can just hear the protests, can't you? You can hear uh, the Jewish church and the Judaizers especially saying, wait a minute, Jesus can't act as our priest. He's not from the right lineage. He's, he, he doesn't have the right blood. <laughs> he can't act as our high priest. This is all wrong. His heritage is all wrong. And so Hebrews goes to great lengths, uh, especially we, uh, we heard read to us verses 1 to 10 where, where there's a lot of argumentation there uh, to, to try to explain that God is working through a lineage now that he actually set up in the time of Abraham uh, the line of Melchizedek and it's a line that lasts forever. That is the, uh, that's the teaching of Hebrews. And so the teaching here is that we can trust Jesus as our high priest because this is what God is doing. I, I can't emphasise that enough. Can, can you hear that? It's, it's not that we can trust Jesus as our high priest because we say so. <laughs> All the false teachers say that so that wouldn't have been, couldn't have been very convincing. It's not that we can trust that Jesus is our high priest because you know, he's a good bloke or because it makes sense to us or because we're looking for something new anyway. None of that stuff. The argumentation here in Hebrews is that we can trust that Jesus is our high priest because this is what God is doing. Because this is what God is doing. That's the only thing they have to fall back onto. And that's what Hebrews keeps on saying. And that's the idea of the order of Melchizedek. God has set this up. This is, what, this is not something that is out of the ordinary to the extent that's never happened before. It's new. It's out of the box. It doesn't fit what we were expecting but it actually ties back to something that God was doing a long time ago, uh, right back at the time of our birth as a nation, right back at the time of Abraham. And so we can trust Jesus as our high priest. And that's the point, isn't it? would have been a frightening thing to trust somebody as the high priest, to trust the, the new sacrificial system if it didn't do any good because they'd be lost in their sins. And so that's what Hebrews is trying to say. It's out of the box... It doesn't fit what we've neatly constructed and God's got to work in there. It doesn't fit that. It's out of the box. But it is God at work. That's the first thing in chapter 7. Tied to that is the second thing and that is it's a new, there's a new regulation. There's a new law that's been set up here. You, you can hear again the, the protests. But God 
later gave us the law, the regulations, uh, to set up the priesthood. All very well for Melchizedek and Abraham and what was going on back there, but then God gave us this new lineage uh, that priests had to come from the line of Aaron. And so we've got to rely upon those regulations that have been set up. And Hebrews then answers that protest and teaches when God is doing something new, and he is, because Jesus is a priest not in the lineage that we have come to expect, but in the line of Melchizedek. When God is doing something new, a new covenant that he's laying down, he will lay down new requirements and new regulations. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? You see, you know, sort of like the, the wineskin stuff that Jesus talked about. You know, you can't be doing something new and expect all the old regulations to fit neatly into this. So he's got to lay down a new regulation. He's got to lay down a new guideline, a new law that, uh, that fits this. And this is in verses 12 to 17, what these new requirements and these new regulations are all about. And so Hebrews is saying, we can trust Jesus as our high priest because God has laid down a new regulation and he's working inside that new framework and that is that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. The regulation before was you've got to be a priest in the line of Aaron but now the regulation is that Jesus is the priest to end all priesthood (laughs) and that is that he is in the line forever of Melchizedek. That's the argument that Hebrews is presenting. It's outside of the box but it is God at work. It's outside of the box. It's not what we were expecting, but it is God at work. That's what Hebrews is saying. So there's a new lineage. It's outside of the box. There's a new regulation. It's outside of the box, but it is God at work. They needed to be assured of that as they gathered together with all this persecution going on around them and as they had these false teachers coming up within their midst. There's a third thing here in chapter 7 about the newness and that is a new permanency. Uh, The the teaching is that in the midst of all of this there's some really good news that comes with this newness and that is that this arrangement that God has set up in Jesus is permanent. You don't have to be looking anywhere else in the future. This comes out in verse 23 to 25. This is permanent. This is set up. This uh, uh, priestliness used to be limited to the life of the priest. The priest might have been a really good person and you could trust him as a, as a person to, to uh, uh, go to God for you and to offer sacrifices and so forth. Uh, but when he died, that was it. and You had to find a new priest. And that new priest might not be as good as the old one. And you might have some question marks around the possibility this person might represent you well before God because some of the priests were good and some weren't so good. Think of the priesthood and the attack that Jesus laid at their feet as we see in the Gospels. So the priesthood would oftentimes let them down. And this was a risky business. And <coughs> what Hebrews is saying... <coughs> excuse me is uh, that, that the newness, this thing that God is doing is new, it's permanent. You don't have to be looking anywhere else. The new covenant has been set up. It's outside of the box, but it is God at work. 
Chapter 7 also talks about a new covenant but we're going to be looking at that next week when we come to uh, uh, further chapters in Hebrews and so I won't dwell on that. But there's, there's one other thing in chapter 7 that is new and he talks about the new sufficiency. The new sufficiency. As Jesus becomes this high priest, he is all that we need. A final protest might be coming from within uh, this church in Jerusalem and from the Judaizers and it could be around the fear that this might not work and then they'd be lost in their sinfulness forever. It's all very well you're teaching that, that this is God at work and that Jesus is the new high priest and he's come from Melchizedek, you know, he's in the line of Melchizedek and, and so on and so forth. But what if it doesn't work? That is a really scary thing. Uh, you're, you're talking about God's working but he's outside of the box. Well, we know that inside the box it works because <laughs> it's what God has set up before. It's the way that God has done it before. Now he's working outside of that box, neatly constructed. What if it doesn't work? And that's what Hebrews points out as the new sufficiency. Hebrews teaches that God's new work provides for us just what we need. Verse 26 to 28. This is true in both the person and the work of Christ. He is the priest who is perfect. He is the priest who can come without blemish and offer himself as a sacrifice. So both in his person and his work, he is the priest that we deeply need. He is just what we need, it says there in Hebrews. He's perfect and he offers once and for all the perfect sacrifice. Nothing else is needed. That's why when we come together on a Sunday morning and we celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper, it's not a re-sacrificing it's a remembrance of the sacrifice that has been paid. It's a remembrance that Jesus, as our high priest, sacrificed himself and it was a perfect sacrifice. It was without blemish and it was accepted by God. And we celebrate that every Sunday morning as we come together and participate in communion. That's the idea of the all-sufficiency, that it works. It works. It's out of the box that had been neatly constructed but it is God at work. It's out of the box but it is God at work. So Hebrews is saying God is doing something new but this was hard to accept. But you know, any search of the scriptures should have prepared them for the fact that God oftentimes works outside of the box. We construct boxes <laughs> We look for God working within that box and God says, hey, I'm over here. <laughs> Other times I'm over here and we don't recognise it because we've constructed this box that we expect God to work in. So we really aren't much different today than the church in Jerusalem as they were needing this teaching on Hebrews. We too have a hard time accepting God working outside of our neatly constructed boxes. And I just wonder what lessons we can learn this morning from this scripture, from Hebrews chapter 7 and from some other scriptures I just want to remind you of because you know them well to help us to recognise God at work and to trust him in the process. 
So let me remind you of a couple of examples. The Bible's actually full of examples of people expecting God to work one way and often because that's the way that he's worked um, before and yet experiencing God doing something different, something outside of the box. And the Gospels, uh, amongst all of Scripture, uh, contain many signposts to the reality that God is doing something new. I just want to give you three examples, very familiar examples, so this is merely a reminder. First of all, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7, so I'm just going to read all of those chapters to you. Only kidding. The Sermon on the Mount, it's new teaching. There's a new set of values being uh, taught here by Christ and contrasted with Old Testament law. Uh, just some examples. In chapter 5, verses 21 to 22, he gives some teaching in relation to murder. Uh, you have heard that it was said it was wrong to murder somebody, but I say to you, see that formula is set up in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he's actually putting himself up as a new authority. <laughs> which wouldn't have been appreciated by the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. wouldn't have been appreciated at all. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And so in relation to murder, he, he says, well, it's actually deeper than that. And he goes on and teaches about an emphasis of treating people well and with respect. It's not just refraining from murdering, <laughs> but on the front foot, what it's all about is treating people with respect treating people well. That's what I'm saying to you, Jesus says. In verses 27 to 28 of chapter 5, he teaches on adultery. You've heard that it was said, it was wrong to divorce and so forth. But I say unto you, and he goes on and teaches about an emphasis on faithfulness. It's really important to be faithful to one another, faithful with your eyes and faithful with, with your thoughts and within relationships being faithful. It's not just a matter of of adultery and divorce as it talks about in other verses but it's a matter of uh, faithfulness that he's talking about. And then in verses 33 to 37 of chapter 5 he he talks in relation to oaths. You've heard that it was said. You know, you've got to, if you make an oath well you've got to abide by it. But I say unto you and he goes on to teach about simple truthfulness. Speaking the truth. You know, don't don't weigh up because they had you know different levels of oaths and all sorts of things. You know, the Mishnah and the Talmud that have been written out of out of the Old Testament law talked about if you use this as an oath, it's one thing. You know, if you use this as an oath, it's not so binding and so forth. And they had levels of oathiness, you know, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Hebrews is saying, I mean, I mean, um, here in in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, um, that's not what it's about. Just simply tell the truth. Not such a radical idea, but it was coming to them as, as a newness. You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. So there's an emphasis on simple truthfulness. Jesus said at the beginning of uh, this Sermon on the Mount in, chapter, in uh, chapter 5, verse 17, that this new teaching was not actually abolishing the old, but it was fulfilling the old. And we see in the fulfilment of it that God is actually doing something new doing something new well it should have prepared the people for the fact that God oftentimes 
recreates and, 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 and does things that are different to what was expected. The second example from the Gospels that I want to remind you of is the foot washing in John chapter 13, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Jesus talks about a new model of leadership here. So we've got a, a new set of values that are being um, taught in the Sermon on the Mount and there's a new model of leadership here in the foot washing passage. And this new model of leadership is contrasted with the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders and authorities. The authorities of the day were hierarchical. They were top down. Uh, To lead, according to the Roman model and the Jewish religious model, to lead was to be served and to be respected and honoured and fearfully obeyed. Jesus turned all of that on its head when he taught and exemplified through the foot washing uh, servanthood. In his new way, to lead is to serve and to pay respect and to honour and to meet needs sacrificially. He turned the whole thing around. Uh, You may remember from the story, this wasn't received well by Peter. This newness, this new thing that God was doing of turning leadership on its head and instead of to be served, it's to serve and instead of to be respected, it's to respect and to be honoured, it's to honour. And Peter didn't think that that was the right way to go. Peter's entrenched, he's just a man of his time. This was a new model, he'd never seen this one before, certainly not in the Roman authorities and certainly not in the Jewish religious authorities and so he pulls back and he says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I can't wash your feet, then you can't be a part of me. (laughs) And Peter says, well, okay, on reconsideration, maybe you could wash all of me. (laughs) He says, "I, I, I can't accept the newness. And Jesus says, if you can't accept the newness, then you can't accept anything. You're not a part of me. Because this is what I'm doing. This is the way it is in the kingdom of God. You've got to accept it. There's no other way, he says. You want to be in the kingdom, this is what leadership's all about. A few people need to hear that today, I'll tell you. Leadership's all about serving and paying respect and paying honour, giving honour, giving yourself away to others. That's what it is. You can't accept that and you can't have part of the kingdom. You can't be involved in what I'm setting up, Jesus says. He had to learn to accept. Peter had to learn to accept. This is what God was doing. And we need to learn that too. Third and the last example from the Gospels is the death of Christ. The death of Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23, Jesus talks about his death. There's a new way that's being opened up for friendship with God. But it's going to involve arrest and trial and death and resurrection. <laughs> it's understood, isn't it? It's understandable that the disciples would say, oh, we'll go with the old way, thanks. <laughs> he says the new way is not a pretty way. It involves crucifixion. It involves death. It involves a whole lot of horrible things. It just doesn't sound right. It doesn't seem to make sense. How would that happen? And Peter, again, has a hard time accepting this new way. Uh, But Jesus tells him in no uncertain terms that any other way is more satanic than godly. Get behind me, Satan. 
you're speaking the things of man, not of God. This new way that God is setting up and, and, and that he is going to act in, this is God's way. You reject that and you're giving yourself over to something that's more satanic than it is godly. It's out of the box, but God is at work. It is God at work. So the idea that God is doing something new was fearful to the Jews. And so Hebrew presents some evidence from their history, from Abraham and Melchizedek, that God often works outside of the box. In a brilliant piece of argumentation, because Hebrews 7 is a brilliant piece of argumentation, Jesus is presented as just the high priest they need. And he is presented as this is what God is doing. Some of you will remember Stuart Briscoe, <clears throat> an English pastor who often came out here and, and uh, spoke. And he wrote uh, one of his books was called The Seven Last Words of the Church. You know what the seven last words of the church are or were or whatever the tense would be? We never did it that way before. We never did it that way before. The seven last words of the church. We've got to be stuck in a rut. We've got to work inside of this box that has been created somewhere, somehow, by somebody. This is the box that we've always accepted as where God at works. You're suggesting this, we've never done it that way before. The seven last words of the church. That could have been the situation that Hebrews is addressing. It could have been. What had happened there in Jerusalem where people could have said, oh, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> and Hebrews is saying, but this is what God is doing. You stick in the box, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. That's what Hebrews is saying. It's out of the box, but it is God at work. You're going to remember that, aren't you? I'm hoping that you'll remember that little saying. It's out of the box. Around the lunchtime table, somebody will pass, say, pass me the box of... Around the breakfast table, somebody will say, pass me the box of cereal. Somebody will say, remember what Wilson said? <laughs> so how does all of this work out in our lives today? Well, the message of Hebrews 7... Uh, about God's new way of access to him is just so important for us. It's absolutely wonderful news, absolutely wonderful news and we celebrate it every Sunday morning. We have the high priest we need and that is the primary teaching of Hebrews chapter 7. But this teaching that I want to lay on you, uh, this application of God working outside of that box, well, we, uh, we, we pray and plan and expect God to work in a predictable way usually based on how he's done it before. And when God does something outside of that box, when he shows up, but in rather unexpected ways, we're often fearful of trusting this is God at work. And so I think what God is saying to his people, and I think what he always says to his people is, uh, just be careful, <laughs> be careful. Because it just could be just where God's at work. This newness could be where God's at work. 
Now I know that there's a whole lot of things we've got to test the spirits and we've got to test the teaching and we've got to avoid false teaching and all that and that's exactly, that's exactly what the church in Jerusalem was doing. I know all of that and you know all of that. You're good at that. Brethren assemblies dating way back are really good at that. But in being good at that, let's not miss the fact that God uh, is a free spirit. God works in ways oftentimes outside of what we have created as the box. He'll create his box, but he's revealed that really well. It's a huge box actually. <laughs> you know, his character and his values and he'll, he'll never work outside of that. He can't. He'll deny himself. But our box is just a little bit of that reality. And so may we take those sort of thoughts into even this week ahead as we every day consider where is God at work? What is God doing in this situation? And as we in the bigger picture look at for this church, for Montmorency Church, what is God doing? Where is he leading us? Because we don't want to, be, we don't, we don't want to miss out. It's out of the box, but it is God at work. <clears throat> Dear God, thank you so much that you're a great God and that you're an exciting God and that it is exciting to follow you. Uh, Forgive us for having too small of boxes. Forgive us for having expectations and limitations that we have created and help us to see the exciting fact that you're at work in really different ways and really new ways. Help us to be discerning, Lord. Help us to be discerning because we don't want to be caught up in false teaching and and stupidities but we sure don't want to miss where you're at work either thank you for your spirit who is the spirit of discernment to lead us in these things in Jesus name we pray Amen